Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. History Hub is based at the University College Dublin School of History. For more information, go to historyhub.ie. In this episode, The Perils of Adolescent Activism During the Irish Revolution, a podcast by Dr. Marnie Hay. Marnie Hay's most recent book, Nathena Aaron and the Irish Revolution, 1909-1923, Scouting for Rebels, was published by Manchester University Press and is now available in paperback. A lecturer in history at Dublin City University, Marnie is also the author of Bulmer Hobson and the Nationalist Movement in 20th Century Ireland. During the Irish Revolution, the nationalist activism of adolescence was often channeled through the conduit of uniformed youth groups such as Nafiana Erin, the Clannagale Girl Scouts and the Scout Corps of the Irish Citizen Army. In this podcast, I will provide an introduction to these youth groups and highlight some examples of the potentially perilous activities undertaken by adolescents during the years 1916 to 1923 and the serious consequences these teenage activists faced. These days, we only have to turn on a TV news report to see that children and adolescents are among the most vulnerable members of society during times of militant insurgency and military conflict. The vulnerability of children and adolescents is heightened at such times due to their young age, innocence, immaturity, and dependence on adults for care and support. In recent years, journalists, aid agencies, and academic researchers have raised awareness about issues such as the radicalization of youth and the forced recruitment of child soldiers. In such cases, children and teenagers have been targeted for indoctrination because they are viewed as especially susceptible to ideological conditioning and easier to manipulate and control. Concerns about the vulnerability and activism of youth during times of conflict are nothing new, however. In the early 20th century, children and adolescents lived through an era of war and revolution. Here in Ireland, young people experienced the events of the Irish Revolution as witnesses, victims, and activists. As Joe Duffy highlighted in his best-selling book, Children of the Rising, 40 children aged 16 years and under died in Dublin during the week of the Easter Rising of 1916. Most were innocent bystanders, children in the wrong place at the wrong time. In contrast, James Fox, aged 16, and Charles Darcy, aged 15, were combatants, while another 15-year-old, Sean Healy, was probably carrying a message for the rebels at the time of his death. Fox was shot while serving with the St. Stephen's Green Garrison. Darcy was shot dead on the roof of a clothing store on Parliament Street, where he was serving with a unit of the Irish Citizen Army, or ICA. These three adolescents were not just victims of the Easter Rising, they were active participants in it. Fox and Healy were members of Nafiana Erin, a militant uniformed youth group formed in Dublin in 1909 as an Irish nationalist counterblast to Robert Baden-Powell's Boy Scout movement. Darcy was a member of the ICA Boy Scouts, the youth wing of the Irish Citizen Army, a paramilitary force first formed to protect protesting workers during the 1913 Dublin lockout. Irish uniformed youth groups often served as a conduit for adolescent nationalist activism during the Irish Revolution, 
with some members serving in military support roles. The late 19th and early 20th centuries saw the advent of uniformed youth groups as a form of youth culture. Such groups were part of the cult of discipline, training and manliness that grew out of the increasing anxiety and fear over escalating international tensions and violence that culminated in the First World War. They were also a reaction to a widely perceived fin de siècle decadence. Uniformed youth groups were mainly aimed at boys in this period, but some catered for girls. British-based youth groups, such as the Boys' Brigade, the Boy Scouts and the Girl Guides, soon spread to Ireland. Irish nationalists responded by starting their own youth groups to prepare young people for their future roles within the Irish struggle for independence. The most famous of these Irish nationalist youth groups was the previously mentioned Nafira Erin, which was established by Constance Markovich and Bulmer Hobson in 1909. Initially aimed at boys aged between 8 and 18, it provided its mainly male membership with a combination of military training, outdoor pursuits, and Irish cultural activities. Fiera troops for girls existed for brief periods in Belfast and Waterford. A more successful and longer-term female alternative to the Fianna was the Clan na Gael Girl Scouts, which founding member and leader May Kelly recorded as being initially formed in Dublin in 1912 as the Irish National Girl Scouts. They changed their name to Clan na Gael in 1915, after they began to share a meeting hall on North Frederick Street in Dublin with the Hibernian Rifles, the military wing of the Irish-American Alliance. This was the more radical, less sectarian section of the ancient Order of Hibernians, a Catholic benevolent society that supported home rule for Ireland. Clan na Gael offered military training, camping trips, Irish language classes, and the sport of camogie for girls between the ages of 8 and 16. Other political organizations in Ireland, such as the trade union movement, also had their uniformed youth groups. The Irish Citizen Army formed its own scout corps in June 1914 as part of a broader initiative to improve the efficiency of the army after the Dublin lockout's failure. The decision to form a junior section of the ICA was likely influenced by the example of the role played by the FIANA within the advanced nationalist movement. The Scout Corps was viewed as a training ground for future ICA recruits and a way of including boys within the wider trade union family. Markovich joined Seamus McGowan in taking a leading role in the establishment and subsequent organization of the ICA Scout Corps, which attracted a core group of 20 boys who were trained in military drill, marksmanship, and first aid. Like members of the FIANA and Clan na Gael, the ICA scouts accompanied their adult counterparts on marches, manoeuvres and parades. The events of Ireland's revolutionary era gave members a chance to put the skills they had learned in the youth group's meeting halls to use in real-life situations, sometimes with negative consequences. The outbreak of the Easter Rising in April 1916 heightened the potential perils of nationalist activism as the deaths of Fox, Darcy, and Healy show. The young age of these youth group members ensured that they were less likely to be suspected of subversive activity, which heightened their value in providing military support to their adult counterparts in the Irish Volunteers, the ICA, and the Hibernian Rifles through their service as scouts, 
dispatch carriers, and couriers. Later in the Irish Revolution, members of youth groups again played a valuable role in support of the Irish Republican Army, or IRA, as the Irish Volunteers were later known. The irregular nature of the Irish War of Independence and subsequent civil war meant that it was difficult for government forces to distinguish between civilians and belligerents. The value of adolescent military support was probably lessened during the Civil War because Irish government forces were more likely to recognize Fianna and Clan Nagale members even out of uniform, having served together previously. While everyone who joined these Irish nationalist youth groups received some form of military training, not all members were militarily active during the Irish Revolution. This is not surprising given the age cohort of these groups. By June 1922, only boys aged between 12 and 18 were eligible for membership in the Fianna. The restriction of membership to male adolescents in the later years of the revolution probably reflected the expectation after the experience of the Easter Rising that Fianna members were likely to be drawn into military action. Even before the Rising, the Fianna leadership appears to have recognized that it would be inappropriate for younger boys to participate in military action. For instance, a Fianna camp was arranged for the Easter weekend in 1916 in order to keep the younger members of the youth group out of danger during the planned rebellion. There continued to be a link between age and involvement in active service during the War of Independence between 1919 and 1921. In Cork City, for example, only a limited number of Fianna members could be deemed militarily active during this guerrilla war. Quite a number of the boys, because of their youth, could not be called on for any hazardous tasks, explained Fianna member Charles Meany. And yet the relatively young age of Fianna members was what could make their services so valuable to the IRA. Being a youth of 15 years, I did not come under suspicion and was able to move around more freely than an adult noted P.J. Murphy. For instance, prior to a raid, he could gain entrance to premises such as the grammar school, where the presence of an adolescent would not be considered suspicious. Only a small number of Fianna members would have provided such services. Meany reported that, as the struggle developed in the years 1920 to 21, the really active members of the Fianna in Cork City could be said to number not more than 30. Only a fraction of these boys were armed, with no more than a dozen revolvers among them. The arming of Fianna boys was controversial because of the potential consequences. Meany recorded that the use of arms by the Fianna in Cork was frowned on by the IRA leaders in the city. Possibly it was thought that they were too young and irresponsible, and that independent action by them might in some way cut across IRA plans. He added that the IRA in Cork issued an order in 1920 that forbade the Fianna from using arms unless they had prior permission from the local volunteer leaders. Some Fianna members, however, continued to carry a gun, even without permission. The IRA's willingness to engage the support services of Fianna members was connected to their trust in the individual in question. William O'Flynn noticed that of the 15 or so boys in the Fethard Troop in County Tipperary, only about five were given duties by the local IRA. This was not due to any lack of enthusiasm on the part of the other boys for the work, he explained, but simply to the fact that they were not asked to do it by the officers of the volunteer company. O'Flynn, who was aged 14 or 15, may have inspired a degree of trust 
because his father was a Sinn Féin politician and his brother an officer in the 3rd Tipperary Brigade of the IRA. O'Flynn reported that, at the time, the enemy forces did not pay much attention to boys of his age, so he was often entrusted with the care or conveyance of small arms. In some places, such as Dublin, Cork and Waterford, the Fianna established active service units, or ASUs. Two such units were formed in Cork City in late 1920, in order to have lads available on a part-time basis for any sudden call from the IRA for assistance. In contrast, the Fianna formed an ASU in Waterford in 1921 as a response to members' frustration that the IRA in that city was not making full use of their potential services. The likelihood for adolescent nationalists to be militarily active during the Irish Revolution also depended on where they lived. Vienna members in Dublin were the most likely to participate in the Easter Rising, as the majority of action during the rebellion took place in that city. As the War of Independence was at, it, at its most intense in the province of Munster, Vienna members in counties like Cork, Kerry and Limerick had greater opportunities to play an active part in that conflict. The ultimate value of the military duties undertaken by adolescent activists during the events of the Irish Revolution is open to different interpretations. To what extent adult activists valued the contributions of their young comrades often depended on whether members of youth groups were operating independently or under the orders of their adult counterparts. Youths undertook the following military tasks, which will be discussed in turn. One, the acquisition and transportation of arms, ammunition, and explosives. Two, serving as dispatch carriers and couriers. Three, scouting and intelligence gathering. Four, commandeering items or carrying out raids in order to acquire provisions and other goods for redistribution or destruction. And five, obstruction of communications. Throughout the Irish Revolution, the Fianna played a role in acquiring and transporting arms, ammunition and explosives that was sometimes controversial, even among their colleagues in the independence movement. The value placed on this role was dependent on coordination with their adult counterparts. It was the recognition of the potentially dangerous consequences of overlapping arms raids by the Fianna and the IRA that finally led to negotiations resulting in a formal link between the two organizations in early 1921 to facilitate cooperation and IRA control of the youth group. During the War of Independence, small groups of Cork Fianna members armed with a revolver carried out nighttime raids on the homes of pro-British people who were suspected of having guns. Charles Meany's description of this first such raid reveals a, a combination of bumbling inexperience and sheer good luck. In spring 1920, he was making his daily delivery of bread to the home of a retired British Army colonel, when he noticed a few shotguns inside. That night, he returned to the house with four other Fianna boys, all wearing masks. They knocked at the door, and the housekeeper let them in. While their fruitless search for the shotguns was underway, Meany's mask fell from his face, and the housekeeper recognized him. The young raiders then fled from the house. Early the next morning, the Royal Irish Constabulary, or RIC, raided Meany's home, and he was taken to the Bridewell, where two of his Fianna comrades were already in custody. The head constable, who knew him well, 
asked Meany if he had anything incriminating in his possession. And Meany told him that he had a toy revolver in his pocket. The policeman took it from him. When the Fianna boys were paraded for identification, they were surprised when nobody from the colonel's house came to identify them. They were released the following day. Meany later discovered that the head constable had tipped off some IRA men who visited the retired colonel and informed him that he would be shot if he or his housekeeper came along to identify the boys as the raiders. Fianna members were sometimes, sometimes given the task of smuggling items because their youth made them less likely than adults to be suspected of such activities. On occasion, however, the police received information that led to the arrest of these adolescents. For instance, in November 1917, two Fianna boys, Michael O'Carroll and John Nelson, were arrested in Belfast when they alighted from the Glasgow boat carrying about 50 pounds of explosives. Joseph Robinson, a prominent member of the Irish Volunteers in Glasgow and a Fianna leader, had given the boys the explosives and some letters to convey to a man in Dublin. Robinson and the two boys were prosecuted in Glasgow. Among the most common military duties assigned to nationalist youth group members was serving as dispatch carriers and couriers. The youth and gender of Clan de Gael Girl Scouts facilitated such service during the Easter Rising. 15-year-old Mary McLaughlin, for example, was responsible for delivering messages and ammunition. Her mother did not approve of this role. When McLaughlin stopped by her family's home to offer reassurance that she was indeed alive and well, her mother promptly locked her in an upstairs room. McLaughlin, however, managed to climb out of the window and return to the rebel headquarters at the general post office. Her involvement in the rebellion got her into more than hot water at home. She ended up losing her job at Arnott's department store. Members of Clan Nagale later carried messages for the IRA during the War of Independence, facing arrest and imprisonment as a result of their activism. The Fianna also supplied dispatch carriers and couriers. For example, Michael Mulcurrens, a Fianna member who served in the Athen Rye area of County Galway, was responsible for dispatch carrying, scout duty, and driving a horse and cart loaded with rations during the Easter Rising. His 1916 service resulted in the loss of his job as a pantry boy at Rockfield House, as well as his arrest, though he was released because of his youth. During the War of Independence, the Fianna Battalion Council in Limerick controlled a dispatch service that was going full swing in 1920. The operational centre for this service was located at the Irish Transport and General Workers Union Hall on O'Connell Street, which was also the IRA Brigade headquarters. The Fianna collected all dispatches from IRA GHQ in Dublin, which arrived in Limerick at the railway station. Fianna member Thomas Dargan explained that the messages, which were usually carried by the train staff, were handed over to a contact in the railway office and then collected by Fianna members and brought to IRA Brigade HQ. Fianna messengers had to cycle many miles to various places in counties Limerick and Clare to deliver the dispatches. Dargan reported that by the end of 1920, these roads became very dangerous for cyclists as British military, black and tans and auxiliaries were practically continuously on them. But during the whole period, only one dispatch was captured. The Fianna and Clan the Gael also played an important role in scouting and intelligence gathering. Members of these organizations were valuable for reconnaissance because their youth 
made them less likely than adults to be suspected of subversive activity when they were sent out to obtain information about a specific building, a geographic area, or the movements of police or military personnel. Thomas O'Connor of Tralee recalled that when the IRA attacked the, IRS, the RIC barracks in Camp County Kerry, they mobilized the Tralee Battalion of the Fianna, who were placed at strategic points between Ballymullen Military Barracks and Blennerville Bridge. Their duty was to warn the IRA taking part in the attack of the approach of enemy reinforcements. Fianna members also gathered valuable information for the IRA as a result of their civilian employment. According to O'Connor, several Fianna members had obtained employment in the local post office, where on numerous occasions, they got possession of telegrams in code passing from Dublin Castle and vice versa to the various military and police barracks in the area. They passed these messages to IRA officers who had a key for decoding them before the telegrams were delivered to the enemy. These Fianna members ran the risk of losing their jobs or being arrested and imprisoned. Members of the Fianna were also responsible for commandeering items. During the War of Independence, the IRA in Cork and Waterford instructed the Fianna to commandeer bicycles from civilians and the British military for use by dispatch riders and IRA flying columns. Bicycles were also a valuable commodity in Limerick, where the Fianna had found that dispatch carrying was getting to be such a big job that this mode of transport was needed. In 1920, the local Fianna started to capture bicycles, first from the British military, who soon got wise to their raids, and then from shops on O'Connell Street. Thomas Dargan estimated that they must have taken 50 or 60 bicycles. Sometimes Fianna members were armed, but in most cases, they depended on speed of operation, he recorded, adding that two Fianna boys were arrested and sentenced to two years in prison because of their bicycle theft. The captured bicycles were brought to the Fianna Hall, where they were immediately stripped of all military equipment and repainted. On the night in 1920, when the Black and Tans burned the Fianna Hall, about 14 of these bicycles were destroyed. In some places, Fianna members worked in cooperation with the IRA to obstruct communications. Thomas Sheehan, a Fianna member in Carlo, was involved in road blocking and wire cutting during the War of Independence, as well as the more usual Fianna tasks of scouting and dispatch carrying. He was arrested in March 1921 for blocking roads, sentenced to one year in Wandsworth Prison in London, and resumed his duties with the Fianna after his release under the General Amnesty in January 1922. The Fianna Aran as an organization supported the anti-treaty side during the Irish Civil War from 1922 to 1923. Fianna members who were pro-treaty quietly left the youth group, some like Thomas Sheehan in Carlow, choosing to join the government forces of the National Army. Fianna membership dropped drastically after the outbreak of the Civil War, and the youth organization barely survived the conflict. During the Civil War, some of the remaining members of the Fianna, often those in their late teens, carried out military duties in support of the anti-treaty IRA. These duties were much the same as those undertaken during the previous events of the Irish Revolution, such as scouting, serving as dispatch carriers and couriers, and sometimes participating in combat. The Fianna's active service in support of the anti-treaty side resulted in the arrest and internment of members. There was also a steep rise in Fianna fatalities. 
18-year-old Michael J. Ryle, for example, was scouting for the anti-treaty IRA when he was killed in an engagement with the National Army in August 1922 in Ballycarthy, County Kerry. In some cases, unhealthy conditions in prisons and involvement in hunger strikes contributed to poor health and ultimately death. In 1923, Daniel D. Foley, aged 17, and Arthur Hughes, aged 19, died of tuberculosis, which was attributed to their military service and imprisonment. Another teen, Jared Landers, had been attached to an ASU in Kerry before his arrest in September 1922. He was recorded as having gone on hunger strike twice while imprisoned, but did not die of tuberculosis until 1927. In conclusion, many adolescent activists lost jobs, were arrested and imprisoned, or suffered wounds or ill health due to their nationalist activism during the Irish Revolution. Still others paid the ultimate price and died, either as a result of their active military service or as collateral damage. Thus, adolescent activism during the Irish Revolution was indeed perilous. To what extent these vulnerable adolescents were mature enough to fully appreciate the potentially negative consequences of their actions is not only open to debate, but a whole other story. Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. For more information on History Hub and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to historyhub.ie.